Great day, great day. Savon here, founder, managing partner, Native Assets. Welcome back to the industry updates. Now, let us not mince words. It has been one hell of a week, one hell of a day in the markets. In fact, Thursday was the single worst day in the market since March of 20. 20, with the Dow losing more than 1,000 points and the tech-heavy Nasdaq composite falling nearly 5%. Both indexes notched their worst single day since 2020. The S&P 500 fell 3.56%, its second worst day of this year. Now, a little bit of a bright side, despite the wipeout, the S&P 500 is on pace to close the week up 0.4%, and this is according to CNBC. Now, there was the FOMC meeting with Fed Chair Jerome Powell. And basically what they do at this meeting is they give out, uh, they, they speak on what they're about to do in the markets and, and what they're going to do to try to get the market to the condition in which they think it should be. Now, their mandate is to have market stability, more or less, all right? And they have a couple of ways they can do that. They can uh, buy, they can expand their balance sheet, they can contract their balance sheet, and this is basically the, the amount of bonds that they are buying or selling, treasury notes, and then they can also affect interest rates. And so when they raise interest rates, it discourages people from borrowing. When they drop interest rates, it enc encourages borrowing because it is cheaper money. And uh, the, the market, they've known, it's been communicated quite clearly that the, the, the Fed planned to increase interest rates all throughout the year. And this is an effort to slow down inflation. Uh, however, some people have gotten perhaps a little overzealous, uh, overestimating how aggressive the Fed might be. And all of this can always change. But the FOMC meeting took place, and they only raised rates by uh, 50 basis points. And that's just a really convoluted way of saying 0.5%. And so with that, we saw a bit of a relief rally. It was a pretty intense relief rally. It was actually one of the best single days of the entire year for the traditional stock market. Wednesday was. And then Thursday, boom, boom, bap, markets crash. They tank. All right. And that's just the U.S. side. Uh, so as I was recording this, there was a little breaking news banner on top of CNBC discussing that the Asian markets had begun to crash because U.S. will do something and then the Asian markets wake up and then they may double down or we may see a, a vice versa. So anyhow... What I think is important to assess is that um, anything that we may be seeing right now, uh, so whether that be what's going on with the, with the, the market itself, uh, whether that be us talking about the worker output falling by 7.5% in the first quarter, which is the biggest decline since 1947. Uh, this is another article from CNBC. All of this, these are usually lagging indicators because it takes the data from the previous month or the previous quarter, and then that kind of spits out what the report is reading currently. And so we're getting a lot of information that is a little bit behind what may be going on. Uh, so at the same token, if things didn't seem as bad before, it's because the data didn't fully come in. But if we're seeing the worst of the data right now, that's also something to keep in mind. And what I mean by that is inflation numbers, uh, this fall in worker output, we could be seeing what is effectively the peak of the bad news, all right? Peak fear. <laughs> and so that would also indicate that if we're seeing peak fear take place or we're in this time frame of peak fear, then we could start to see that uh, turn around and we would also see that reflected in the markets. So let's jump into this article. 
I'll read it again. Worker output fell by 7.5% in the first quarter, the biggest decline since 1947. At the same time, labor costs, as measured against productivity, soared 11.6%, bringing the increase over the past four quarters to 7.2%, the fastest rise in about 40 years. The weekly jobless claims increased to 200,000, well above the Wall Street estimate. Now, the non-farm productivity, a measure of output against hours worked, declined 7.5% from January through March, the biggest fall since the third quarter of 1947. At the same time, the unit labor cost soared 11.6%, bringing the increase over the past four quarters to 7.2%. Now, this particular metric calculates how much employers pay workers in salary and benefits per unit of output. What is the important thing to take away from this information? Effectively, what it is saying is that workers themselves are costing more money to employers, means employer expenses are going up and productivity is declining. And what it also means is that when we look at this jobless report from the labor of uh, the labor department on Thursday showed the jobless claims increased to 200,000 for the week ended April 30th, a 19,000 gain for the previous period and above the Dow Jones estimate for 182,000. So productivity has dropped off at a rate that's the fastest since 1947, 1974, pardon me. And then we see the jobless claims, there are a greater degree of, of unemployment than was estimated. So whenever there is a forecast, the market tries to price in its expectation because that, that's the rational thing to do, right? But when uh, figures come in, numbers come in, data comes in that over or undershoots the estimate, it usually is pretty volatile for the markets. So this is something to keep in mind. And I know that traditionally we start off when we talk about crypto. And we're going to get into crypto, but I think it's important that all of the information we go through is put within the context of the greater market because none of these things really happen in a vacuum. And, and it's my humble opinion that some of the positive progress that we're seeing inside of the crypto markets is occurring against this pretty shitty macro backdrop. So I think that is something to take note of. Now, the last little thing we'll jump into to, to, to just you know drive home how bad the market is performing at present is, is just as a general uh, trend, the tech stocks have fallen off pretty hard. Now, why is this? This is no secret, but it is generally um, agreed upon that the evaluations, the valuations of these companies were far, uh, were dramatic. They were far greater than what maybe should have been justified by their price to earnings or just their general balance sheets, their uh, ABITA, you know, all of these little buzz terms, acronyms. Basically, anybody can say that crypto was overvalued, but tech was overvalued as well, potentially, right? And so, uh, just something else to keep in mind for anybody who might, uh, if you ever find yourself in conversation with somebody who that's one of their points of why they don't get into crypto, they think it's too overvalued or it's a bubble. Well, if they're invested in stocks uh, or equities, those were also in a bit of a bubble. And in particular, the the platforms that fell off the most were the platforms that benefited the most from the work from home movement that's really been taking place and gaining steam since 2020. So cloud and e-commerce stocks uh, were among the biggest losers on Thursdays. And this had to do with disappointing earnings reports as well. Uh, and then big tech also got hammered 
And uh, Shopify dropped, I think, 17%. I can find that in a second. Shopify was down 15%. And then eBay and Etsy also dropped by double digits. Uh, And with Amazon dropped about 8%. Facebook or Meta dropped about 7%. Apple, 6%. uh, Alphabet, 5%. Microsoft, 4% and the Nasdaq is a whole 5%. So the other reason I think it's really important to understand and follow what is happening in the traditional markets is because it puts into perspective and context what is taking place in the digital asset and the crypto markets. Because if Bitcoin drops off by 7 8%, but we also saw that what most investors, even people like Warren Buffett, would call as a, you know, a, a a growth stock or, or a value stock, something like Meta fell by 7% and something as solid as Apple fell 6%, it, it, it really reminds us that what we saw or what we see as these, is these price drops in the crypto market, it's, it's not that dramatic. And of course, uh, the, the correlation between traditional markets, traditional equities and crypto is, is damn near all time high these things should become more and more expected and routine until eventually maybe they aren't. And another reason for this, uh, I forget who I was listening to, but they made a really good point. I personally had not sat back and really thought about this as plainly as, as I probably should have. Traditionally, the crypto markets were relatively uncorrelated with the stock markets. But as we see bigger, bigger funds jump in, bigger money, institutional money jump in, they're going to treat this in the same framework that they do most of their investments. Risk on, risk off. What does that mean? There's times where you take risks because you can achieve alpha and you can outperform the market, right? You can have adjusted the sharp ratio. Risk adjusted returns can be high. And then there are times where it just does not warrant it because the gains are not there to justify the volatility to the downside. And that's risk off mode. That's when they start selling shit. All right. And these, this methodology, this framework, you got to understand, most of these institutions, as it stands right now, they are not on that hodl ship. They don't give a damn about holding these assets because long-term they're undervalued. Most of them do not. Some of these players, we may see that that approach differ a bit. Uh, so, for instance, BlackRock, when they came out and they announced their, their blockchain-focused ETF, they said, or one of their spokespeople mentioned specifically that they feel that the market has not properly priced in. In other words, they feel that the market does not fully appreciate the potential of a lot of these digital assets. Uh, so perhaps they will have a better hold or hodl mentality, but most of these fund managers, they are trying to optimize for profits. All right. And there's nothing wrong with that. So kind of knock on same 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 idea as I mentioned before really seeing the 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 lagging indicators but coming into this year were some of the highest uh, raises for fintech companies but as we see according to the block April fintech funding roundup the fintech funding hits a 12 month low all right now we can jump into this in more detail. After falling, failing to return to double-digit billions for two months consecutively in February and March this year, fintech funding hit a low of $6.4 billion in April. The last time funding levels in the sector were this low was February of 2021. Now, this article goes to break down uh, payments specifically, financial management, lending, uh, banking, and wealth tech categories or subcategories. And what I think is important to note about this is that this is another sign that the exuberance is slowing down. The euphoria is slowing 
down. Uh, now, this easily could, could kick back up. This could be uh, an indication of, of what has gone on at the front end this year, and that could easily turn around the other direction. But these are all things to keep in mind uh, as indicators of the broader market as a whole. Let's keep going. So, pretty interesting story. This was the, the, the first thing I saw when I woke up because the markets hadn't crashed yet. But Sequoia, Binance, and A16Z are backing Elon Musk, $44 billion Twitter acquisition bid. Now, this is a story out of TechCrunch. So, nearly two dozen investors, including Sequoia Capital, Andreessen Horowitz, crypto exchange Binance, and asset manager firm Fidelity, has invested over $7.1 billion. It should be have invested. $7.1 billion back to Tesla and SpaceX chief executive Elon Musk. $44 billion bid to acquire Twitter. Now, Oracle co-founder Larry Ellison delivered the largest check at a billion dollars a Thursday filing reveal. Sequoia chipped in $800 million, Vi Capital $700 million, Binance $500 million, and Andreessen Horowitz $400 million, the amended 13D filing said. Now, this is a quote from Ben Horowitz, the co-founder and general partner at Andreessen Horowitz. Elon is the one person we know and perhaps the only person in the world who has the courage, brilliance, and skills to fix all of these and build the public square that we all hoped for and deserve. While Twitter has great promise as a public square, it suffers from a myriad of difficult issues ranging from bots to abuse to censorship. Being a publicly a public company solely relying on an advertising business model exacerbates all of these. These are prominent firms who have a reputation to consider, who also have to factor in uh, their political alignments because big money is politics at the end of the day. In a lot of ways, it can be. They influence politics. That's no question. It's telling to me that so much money is rushing in to facilitate this acquisition. Now, I don't think that this is necessarily an indication that the acquisition is going to be some sort of miracle for Twitter, but I do think it signals that there is a lot of faith in Elon or his vision, one, but it doesn't even have to be that. I think it is a, a very vocal vote in the form of capital that something is wrong with Twitter, that Twitter does not work, okay? Now, I cannot begin to imagine necessarily, I'm sure we could go pull some numbers and make a guess, but what it would cost to buy out Meta or buy out Facebook or buy out Instagram or buy out TikTok. But as it stands, Twitter is uniquely positioned as a forum that has not gotten as bad as, as uh, censored as a lot of these other platforms. And yet, at the same time, a platform that still has so much potential upside in, in growth and in user adoption and reach, right? Organic reach still working in a lot of ways. So uh, I think what this really, really uh, tells us is that we should watch very closely because there are a lot of uh, separate entities who are vying for this revamp of Twitter to really work. And at the same time, a lot of these firms are heavily, uh, heavily invested in technologies and cryptocurrencies specifically. Now, there's been some speculation that uh, once this takes place, that there will be a token issued for Twitter or that effectively Twitter will be more increasingly digitized and tokenized. Now, something I don't see people speaking about a lot, which is kind of confusing to me, is the relationship between Elon Musk and Jack Dorsey. Now, both of these men went on to 
to work very heavily uh, on Bitcoin mining specifically. And as far as I recall correctly, or if I recall correctly, Square is working on a farm, a Bitcoin mining farm, right? And they are looking to use a lot of uh, Tesla generated power, right? They're looking to build this out and power it using a lot of uh, technologies that are coming from Elon Musk and Tesla. So I don't think it's any stretch of the imagination that when this acquisition takes place and they begin to revamp it, that is going to have a very crypto, very digital asset centric model in the back end. Now let's move on to the next story. This guy, we're going to talk about a couple of, uh, uh, of the regulatory framework or the, the, the kind of politics behind what we're seeing going on. And this article from CNBC is about Governor Newsom in California issuing an executive order on crypto as the state embraces blockchain technology. Now, long story short, this executive order is, is in a way doubling down on what the Biden administration put out. But in more detail, let's jump down. The order is designed to create a transparent and consistent business environment for companies operating in blockchain, including crypto assets and related financial technologies. Uh, that Horizons that harmonizes federal and California laws, balances the benefits and risks to consumers, and incorporates California values such as equity, inclusivity, and environmental protection. According to the order, it will reflect consultation with relevant state agencies regarding the forthcoming federal reports on the relationship of crypto assets to priorities to priorities in energy, climate, and preventing criminal activity. Now, Myers is a representative. Uh, uh, of this whole process and this executive order. And they said, the opportunities are almost endless. We can do things like remove middlemen from transactions involving real estate or even automobiles. We can use it to protect people's identities and provide benefits to people through the government services. If we're selling carbon offsets, we can make sure the same force isn't being sold twice and that there's some record that's transparent. Now, personally, I think uh, California is, 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 is a state divided, right? Now, maybe that's obvious, but uh, I think this is net-net, very clearly a good thing for the industry. I've said this many times before. Regulation is a requisite if you want true mainstream adoption. There is no if and but. There's no way around it. And seeing California as they are uh, one of the largest employers uh, in the entire nation is instrumental. It is vital that they are uh, on the forefront of really embracing and recognizing that they need to develop a framework that works across multiple types of businesses and blockchain agencies and really seeing how they can incorporate these technologies on a federal level. So this was good news to see. Now, mind you, this is all still coming while we kind of have all of this capitulation taking place and FOMO in the markets. But let's keep in mind, 2020 March, Bitcoin was about $4,000, between four and $6,000 when, when it crashed. It's currently $36,000. All right, yeah, it may have peaked out around 60-something, but this is still far higher than, uh, than what it was a couple of short years ago, and we're damn near halfway to the next halving. And once again, this is something that, that it, it baffles me that more, more people don't speak about this, even if we were to go into a bear market. I have never, for one, seen a bear market survive a halving, all right? The halving destroys the bear markets usually. Now, the dynamics are a lot different. Who's to say that would play out in the same way, but supply and demand economics, 
at the end of the day. That's my humble opinion. So let's move on. Skybridge Capital's Anthony Scaramucci expects a pro-crypto presidential candidacy. Uh, and he also believes that a Bitcoin ETF will happen by the end of 2022, given the recent developments on Capitol Hill. Now, Anthony Scaramucci, he manages a large uh, hedge fund, Skybridge Capital. He was also worked at the White House for about a week or so uh, at the start of the Trump administration. And this is something else I think deserves attention because it is showing you the mindset and the outlook of people who have the ears of politicians. They have the ears of people who can move the markets with their buys and sells. And uh, sure, maybe he's a bit of an outlier as far as a traditional finance individual who has made a bit of a pivot, a large pivot over to embracing Bitcoin and digital assets. Uh, but I think it's important to note his outlook because when people like this speak, uh, it's, it's, it's usually a good idea to take heed of what they're, what they're trying to tell you. Now, this was quite surprising, uh, but once again, I thought was great information or, or, or a great sign that the whole metaverse, game fi, play to earn, play and earn, uh, own and earn, all of this is has some legs underneath it. Because Square Enix, which is the uh, publisher of games such as Tomb Raider, Hitman, they are selling off the Tomb Raider franchise and three studios that are underneath them to fund NFT gaming. Now, to be frank, when you actually pull at this thread, this is a bit of a, of a what's the word? What's the word? Uh, clickbait, in a way. But uh, th th this is more or less true, all right? Now, the Final Fantasy publisher will net $300 million from the sale, which it will bankroll, use to bankroll new efforts, including blockchain-based games. Now, they are selling IP and game studios to Embracer Group for $300 million. Let's go into more detail. Uh, well, we don't really need to go into more detail. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the press release that it had mentions that what they are trying to do specifically is uh, fund the launch of new businesses with blockchain listed along such uh, alongside technology such as AI and cloud computing. Now, if we go and we click on the press release itself, we can see the purpose of the transaction. So let's zoom in here. Let's see if I can get this off the side. We'll see this is for now. The purpose of the transaction, the transaction will assist the company in adapting to the changes underway in the global business environment by establishing a more efficient allocation of resources, which will enhance the corporate value by accelerating growth in the company's core businesses in the digital entertainment domain. In addition, the transaction enables the launch of new businesses by moving forward with investments in fields, including blockchain, AI, and the cloud. The move is based on the policy of business structure organization that the company set forth under the medium-term business strategy unveiled on May 13, 2021. So, that is a little bit more context, but this is one of those situations where you really see a, a firm or really just an entity put their money where their mouth is. Tomb Raider in particular has done quite well uh, for the franchise or for the studio, uh, for the publisher rather, and selling it is not a, is a small move. Now they still, they have a new game in development with the latest Unreal Engine that I think will be out uh, sometime 2023 perhaps or late this year. Anyhow, to sell that IP in order to fund this this business expansion that includes blockchain gaming is uh, is, is quite a bold better quite a bold move and really shows uh, their willingness to adapt to the times. Moving on, 
Congress schedules hearing on FTX's proposal for inter, inter for disintermediation. Goodness gracious. The Commodity Futures Trading Commission, which the Agricultural Committee oversees, is currently reviewing a proposal from FTX that would disintermediate derivatives trading, among other changes for the cryptocurrency trading platform. FTX says the proposal would reduce friction and free up collateral while also allowing users to use their spot crypto holdings as collateral for margin trading. Now, it's important, if uh, if this might be your first time hearing the story, to look at a prior report on this from the block that took place back in March. Now, basically, what FTX is trying to do here is allow them to operate similarly to what FTX International does, but to do that in the United States. And so what this would do in particular, this is a bit technical, is that this would propose a system for margining that would update its levels in more or less real time, every 10 seconds or so, rather than the 24-hour windows that are the current standard. It would also allow the integrating of spot and futures portfolios, allowing traders and derivatives to use their spot holdings as collateral. Now, Harrison points out that the new model allows investors to put more of their portfolios to use and protects everyone from the sorts of market changes that accumulate over 24-hour intervals. In times of market volatility, those periods can result in cascading liquidations. So what's really dope here is that this sort of move would flip the traditional model and and really innovate it because in traditional clearing, it's a 24-hour window. Why is that? In traditional clearing, the technologies are are far more cumbersome, and and that's kind of what, what they had settled upon. But in this era with the blockchain, you can literally update this in real time, damn near. And so roughly every 10 seconds or so. And so if they were uh, if this were granted by the CFTC and no one knows if it will be, this will on the one end provide a bit of a precedent so that maybe what are non-crypto assets can also be adopted and use this framework. And this would probably necessitate the digitization of those trading platforms in some way, shape, form, which would further push ahead the adoption uh, in a mass sense. But also, uh, and and the the key thing there is that it would be from a technological standpoint. It would have nothing to do with the price of Bitcoin, the price of Ethereum, but the technology itself and how we can innovate these platforms that traditionally have, uh, have been slow to innovate. And the other side of this is that this could be vital in minimizing the volatility around the derivatives that exist in the crypto ecosystem, in the crypto uh, sector, because by updating these these portfolio balances and liquidations every 10 seconds as opposed to every 24 hours, it means that liquidations come in uh, with, with a higher velocity. So what is less likely to happen is that, okay, 24-hour period hits in that 24-hour window, there was high volatility. And so now all at once, there's a massive liquidation, and then it sends this crazy-ass cascade that furthers, uh, exacerbates the problem. So my opinion, my assessment, it is actually probably, there's likely a good chance that this does go through, and maybe not immediately, but the consideration for this should be strong because this would ultimately serve to benefit and protect consumers and investors. And is that not the mandate of all these damn regulators to protect the investors? So I am fascinated by this and hope that they are able to get this through because net net, it really speaks to the technological um, benefit and necessity of moving some of these legacy platforms over to the blockchain and also could protect everybody from these wild liquidations that are uh, not uh, uncommon in the industry. So uh, penultimate story we're going to get into, Argos, Texas, and their uh, blockchain mining firm, their flagship facility 
has been energized. So what's that mean? They cut the switch on. Now, Bitcoin miner Argo announced its facility, its flagship facility in Dickens County, Texas, has been energized and will start mining Bitcoin next week. Argo expects by the end of the year, the new mining center will use 200 megawatts of power and increase its total hash rate by 243% to 5.5 exahash per second. So timing for this seems to be right. The other thing that I wanted to really emphasize is that we must keep in mind, as more miners come online, as more hash rate is provided to the network, the network becomes more secure. The more secure the network is, the more resistant it is to hack, the more resistant it is to anybody trying to tamper with the system. It makes this, the network stronger. It makes Bitcoin even more resistant, even more, uh, even more fortified, all right? So they are cutting on a significant amount of power. They're also further distributing that power and moving it away from uh, offshore and bringing it onto U.S. soil. Even though this is a, uh, a European-based company, they are based out of London, uh, and they had an IPO, and they trade on the London Stock Exchange and the U.S. exchanges, I believe. But these are just important milestones, significant milestones uh, for the security of the Bitcoin network, as well as establishing the U.S. as a dominant player in the sector. Now, very last thing before we get out of here, the Luna Foundation Guard, LFG, which I think he called it that so that it's also, you know, synonymous or uh, implies let's fucking go. They purchased an additional $1.5 billion of Bitcoin, which is roughly 37,863 Bitcoin. And this puts them uh, at, let's see, the top 10 holders in the world as they hold roughly $3.5 billion worth of Bitcoin. So that has been the industry update. My name is Savon Springer. You know where you can find us, Native Assets. You can find us uh, at nativeassets.co. You can grab the book on Amazon, and you can sign up for the course at nativeassets.co.co forward slash foundations. Peace and blessings. Y'all hold it down. I'll holler at y'all real soon. Peace. Peace.